good to see everyone here tonight, and we appreciate those of you who are visiting with us and hope that our study together tonight will be beneficial. And I do know that, like Brother Larry said, when you walk in the pulpit, you walk up and you miss uh, the young group of people that we have here, uh, not only because of the fact that they're there, but they always do a great job of focusing on the lesson and paying attention, and uh, I do miss them when they're not here. Several weeks ago, in fact, I guess it's several months ago, I had several people who asked me if I would preach some lessons on some moral issues. And you know, we do not live in a vacuum. We live in a world that has its own positions, has its own uh, characteristics and nature. In the first century, the Apostle Paul had to go into various cities and he had to confront the society which they lived in. When he was in Corinth, he had to confront the fornication that was so evident in that city. One of the things that was prevalent in the first century was homosexual behavior. When you start looking at the kinds of sins that they committed, you can go through the Bible and you can find them cataloged or listed in several places. Places like Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where Paul lists the works of the flesh. Or you can go to other passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 20, where Paul begins to enumerate some of the things that the Christians in Corinth had participated in. Well, beginning tonight, I want to address some of these current moral issues, and I would assume that you can tell from the title of our lesson tonight, When the Womb Becomes the Tomb, that I'm going to be talking to you about abortion. And when you think about this, I don't know about you, but it really makes me sick to my stomach. I thought about initially early on in preparation of this lesson, I prepared a number of things about the way abortions occurred. I will tell you that it is gruesome, it is barbaric, I don't understand why anybody could even think that this was in any way a good choice if they know what happens. But I don't think it's necessary to try to be gruesome or to try to show pictures that are shocking. In fact, the only picture that I'm going to show you on the screen tonight is the one of the child in the womb. And that is certainly one that is precious. I will tell you that in the eyes of God's people, sin is disgusting. Sin is something that revolts us. It makes us nauseous. It makes us ill to think about it. When I go to such passages in Psalms 109 and verse 104, David said, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. If what is being participated in is against God, then I ought to hate it. I ought to have this idea that it is sinful, that it is wrong. <clears throat> when Paul wrote the Romans in chapter 7 and verse 13, he was explaining the purpose of the Old Testament teaching. And when he did, he was trying to explain what that Old Testament law did. And he said, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. 
But sin, that it might appear to be sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. I want you to notice two phrases out of that passage that sin might appear to be sin. That you can see it for what it really is. Sometimes we gloss over things. We try to rephrase it so it doesn't sound so bad. But the truth is, sin is still sin. And when you and I stand before others and we declare God's word, we have to let sin to be exceedingly sinful. Let man see it as that. Abortion, to some, is only a political issue. I am not here to preach politics. That's not what the Lord called men to do. It's not my purpose to promote or to denigrate one versus another. To the children of God, this is a moral issue. Regardless of what one might think politically, this is a moral issue. I do know that this world has embraced a false sense of values. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, we read Isaiah saying, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, the world is so confused in the sense that it will say, this is good and it is sinful, and when you teach something true, they will say, no, that's bad. Jeremiah described the depravity of the people by saying, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Our society today is so confused that there's nothing that appears to be grievously sinful or wrong. So tonight, what I would like to do is to talk about the scriptural position. What does the Bible say? And it says a lot. Number two, I would like for us to look at the sinful present we live in. And then I'd like for us to look at a solution to the problem. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of a scriptural position. There's a phrase, two words, that appear in the Bible quite frequently, and it's called innocent blood. Let me take you through some Old Testament passages. It refers to those people who have done nothing deserving of death. For instance, if I go and through my car, I come and I hit your car, and I wound someone in your car or I kill someone in your car, you couldn't call me innocent. On the other hand, though, if I, you didn't do anything wrong, and I came up and I took a gun and shot you, you have innocent blood. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Listen to Proverbs 1 and verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Solomon is warning his son about people who would say, hey, let's go over. Let's take advantage of these people. He describes them as innocent, not deserving. And when I go through the Bible, I find people who shed a lot of innocent blood. Listen to 2 Kings 21 and verse 16. 
Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other beside his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, Manasseh was such a very wicked man, ruled 55 years. But what he did, he didn't care about innocent people. He killed them at whim. Our society today is just exactly like that. I shudder every time I turn on the news and they talk about what happens in Nashville, about a, a drive-by shooting. And you know, Nashville's one of the safest places in the United States. But there's still people who shed innocent blood. Who is less deserving of death than a child? That child has never done anything to anyone. That child has not sinned or hurt anyone else. Listen to Psalm 106, verse 38. David writes, And shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the lamb was polluted with blood. You see, they killed their children. Their sons and their daughters. Jeremiah 22 verse 3 says, Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, to the fatherless or to the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. What God is calling upon people to do is respect those who are innocent. Their blood must not be shed. And what more than a child is innocent and needs to be protected? When Amos, the prophet, was called by God to name names, that is, those nations round about them that were doing sinful things, Amos called their names and he says, for three transgressions of the name, and for four, God will not turn away his punishment thereof. And I want you to notice what we find in Amos 1 verse 13. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead that they may enlarge their territory. These people were barbarians. They were ruthless. Those little children in those mother's wombs had done nothing wrong. Those pregnant women who had those child did not deserve that treatment. And yet, that's exactly what they did. I'd like to also take you to discuss the god Molech. And spell with a little g. He was the god of the Ammonites, sometimes also associated with Baal. Uh, Brother Brian, last Sunday morning in our adult Bible class here in the auditorium, addressed this, and I thought did a wonderful job of, of bringing this out. I'm going to bring out some of that, maybe just a little bit more. I want you to go with me to 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 3, and then chapter 23 and verse 10. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and indeed made his son pass through the fire, 
according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Then chapter 23, verse 10. And he defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, that he might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Let me identify a couple of things here. Tophet literally means fire hearth, fireplace. And what history records is is that this idol to the god Molech was made out of some sort of brass or bronze and was hollowed inside. And what they would do in their human sacrifice here is they would build a fire in it and get it really hot and it had outstretched arms and then they would take their sons, their daughters, and even their infants and put them in the arms of this god that was red hot with fire. Live human sacrifice of children. Now folks, if nothing will make you cringe, that ought to make you cringe. What kind of God would the people of Ammonites serve that they would take and burn their children, searing them on a metal God like this? In second, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 21 God recognized that the children of Israel had driven out and were to drive out the Canaanites. And he says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor you shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You don't pick up their ways. You don't learn what they do. And don't practice those things. Deuteronomy 12.31 when Children of Israel encamped, ready to cross over into the promised land. God, through Moses, said, you shall, not worship, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. God said, you don't learn from them. You're going to get over there. That's going to be the way they're going to act and don't you do that. Now I also point out this is associated with the sacrifice to the Baals. The Baals have origin up in the Phoenicians of Tyre and Sidon. And yet it appears at some point the god Molech and the god Baal, sort of their worship merged during the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7, verse 31. And they have built the high place of Tophet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command it, nor did it come into my heart. God said, that's not anything I would ever want to happen. Chapter 19, 5 and 6. They have also built the high places to Baal, to burn their sons and their daughters with burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak nor did it come into my mind. Therefore the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. God said, I want you to understand, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to take this valley here that they have been sacrificing to their gods, and I am going to slaughter you in it. Not your children, but you worshipers of false gods. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, 
nor did it come to my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. You keep finding that phrase over and over again. Now, I showed you in the Bible what they did. And I don't think there's a person here in their minds would say that what those people did was okay. Not a person at all would justify that. Fast forward to this generation. In 1973, when the Supreme Court of the United States said, in the case of Roe v. Wade, that a woman has right to abort her child legally. Since that time, over... 50 million babies have been aborted in the United States. 50 million. Do you realize the significance of that? In 2010, the Tennessean did a study of abortion, and they recorded a number of results. I'm not going to try to present all of those to you here. I will present a few of them. Number one, 81% of those people who received abortions were not married. So what's the significance of that? I can tell you what the significance of that is. That's fornication. That is a sin compounding a sin. They committed a sin and then they committed another sin on top of that. 81%, the majority, the vast majority. Number two, there were 158 abortions to every 1,000 live births. Now that may not strike you, but you start thinking for every 1,000 children that were born, 158. Well, let's, let's reduce your fractions here if you want to. For every 10 babies that are born, one and a half of them are aborted. You know, we've been blessed here at this congregation to have a lot of beautiful babies, beautiful children. But do you realize how many statistically are aborted? The largest group in this are women who are 20 to 24 years of age. And I will say this, the majority are white. You know, years ago, the uh, many people who were racist in their minds wanted to suggest that those of other races were more promiscuous and that the majority of the abortions were taking place were of those who were of various other races. But the facts are that the most likely woman to get an abortion is going to be between 20 and 24 years of age, never having been married, and is a white young woman. That's the reality. Tennessee is 32nd in the abortion rates, that is, the population to the number of abortions that happen. The District of Columbia is leading it. New York and uh, New Jersey, Maryland and California all follow close behind. And I will tell you, in some of them, over half of the births that are, like for instance, if there's 1,000 births, live births, over 500 of them are aborted. Over half. Well, how do these sinners justify themselves? And I don't hesitate to call them sinners. 
You know, according to Luke 16 and verse 15, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You see, people will get up and they will say, Now here are the justifications for this. And we always want to polish something up, make it look real good. We'll use some, some flowery language here. But the truth is, is that God looks at the heart and He knows what people are doing and He knows why they're doing it. Proverbs 16 and verse 2 says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. He looks at the hearts of men. But here's what they say. It's a woman's choice to do what she wishes with her own body. In other words, this is my body. I can choose what I want to put in it or what I want to take out of it. Who are you to tell me what I can do with my own body? Let me ask you a question. What about the baby's body? Do you rule over its body as well? Can you say, oh, it's, it's all right because this baby is within me that I can do whatever I want to with it? I can kill it. They say it's a privacy issue. Nobody should have any business knowing about or participating in this because it's simply between a woman and her doctor. I beg to differ. This is between that person and God. And God has spoken on the issue. They say, but it's not desirable to bring unwanted children into this world, especially damaged ones. You see, you don't want to bring a child into this world that's not going to be loved. I will tell you that I have known many people who've had children who have suffered various handicaps. And they're some of the most loving people in this world. Many of you remember Brother Danny Jones' brother, Stevie. Could you ever ask for a more loving young man than him? You see, the truth is that this world is saying everything should be, if it's not perfect, if it's not, I, I shouldn't have to deal with it. I should, it should be disposable. Well, let's talk about the solution. God's ways are always right. And I know this is going to be radically sounding to some people in the world this day, and perhaps I should have waited till the young people were here. But the Bible teaches no sex outside of marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. That is so plain, you have to have somebody to help explain that away. There is only one place that God intended that to occur, and that's in marriage. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of fornication, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. God said, I want you to restrict this to where you do not have any touching of male and female unless they're married. 
Everybody says, well, don't you believe in choice? I do. I believe in God's choice. And here's what God's choices are. Number one, you can choose to abstain and keep yourself pure, or you can choose to be married and fulfill it there, and those are your choices. Children conceived otherwise are conceived in sin. And someone says, well, we need to take care of the problem. Two wrongs do not make a right. The fact that you have committed one sin does not mean that I've got to commit another sin to try to cover it up or to get rid of the problem. And let me tell you, there's a biblical example that addresses this. David tried to cover up his fornication, his adultery, where a child was conceived with murder. Listen to 2 Samuel eleven five, And the woman conceived, so she told David and said, I am with child. You know what David did immediately after he learned that Bathsheba was pregnant? He thought, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to cover this up? How am I going to get rid of the problem? The first thing he tried to do was bring Uriah home and make him think it was his child. When that didn't work, he wasn't able to trick him and deceive him into doing that. Then he sent him to the forefront of the battle and he had the others pull away from him and he fell there in battle. And listen to Nathan's rebuke, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him. David, you tried to cover up your sin. When you couldn't cover it up, you had a man killed. I'm going to tell you what happens today. Here's a young lady. She is going to school. And she and a young boy are doing things they ought not to be doing. And all of a sudden she finds out she's pregnant. And everybody says, oh, this is going to mess up their lives. What are they going to do about going to college? What are they going to do about, oh, this is going to just mess everything up. Well, let's go have an abortion. Nobody will know. Nobody will ever see. God knows. God sees. And just like the case with David, David thought that he had gotten away with it. And Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, You are the man. David, you stand judged by God. Human children are sacred by nature. What do you mean by nature? In Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, We're going to make man in our image. That little child in that womb is made in the image of God and thus deserves protection if no other thing than that. In Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13, David said, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows that very well. For my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And they were in your book, or, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Before David ever saw the light of day, before he ever exited his mother's womb, God already had great plans for David. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Devaluing life for one age group, the unborn devalues it for all. It was once, it was just the first trimester. Then the second trimester. And then they added... Partial birth abortion, where a child can be killed as it is in the birth canal in the mother's womb. You see, you devalue it for one, you devalue it, and you know what's next? Kill the old people, kill the handicapped. If you're not productive, helpful for society, you see, you can't devalue a life for one and not devalue it for all. It's sad that one of the most dangerous places for a child to be is in the womb of its mother. When the womb becomes the tomb. In too many cases, that's what has taken place. The child of God will always seek to honor and respect life because it is made in the image of God. If you will, take out your songbook now. I realize this has not been the kind of sermon delivered to motivate someone to obey the gospel or someone who has been away to want to come back, but it may be that you have realized there is a God in heaven. Jesus Christ is His Son. He came to the earth. He died to save me. And I need to be a Christian so I can have all my sins washed away you believe that he's the Christ, you are willing to repent of those sins you've committed and confess your faith and be baptized, the Lord will forgive you of your sins. I'll tell you something else God will do for those of us who are Christians. When there are sins in our lives, if we are genuinely penitent, we ask, God will forgive. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and say?